Welcome to the Rush Hour Podcast. Sit back and relax or hop on the treadmill for the next hour as we talk Saskatchewan Rush Lacrosse. Every month, Jake Elliott will talk with Saskatchewan players, coaches, executive and team personnel about all things Rush Lacrosse. And now, the host of the Rush Hour Podcast, Jake Elliott. What's going on, Rush Nation? Welcome back to the Rush Hour Podcast. Season 2, Episode 2. It's Jake Elliott with you once again. The Rush Hour Podcast brought to you by Merlin Ford Lincoln, your premier choice for Ford and Lincolns in Saskatoon. Got a co-host with me here for Episode 2. We've got a couple of great guests coming up as well. We'll talk to Ryan Dilks, and we'll talk to Assistant Coach Jeff McComb here on this episode of the Rush Hour Podcast. But let me bring in my co-host, Right off the top here, he's also my partner up at the broadcast booth. It's the voice of the Saskatchewan Rush. It's Ryan Flaherty. Flats, thanks for doing this. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Uh, welcome to Rush yeah. Hour. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been a while, Jake. Yeah, hard to believe the uh, Christmas season is already almost over, and we're ready to flip over to a new year. I don't know that I'm ready to reflect on the year or even the decade. People are all putting together these decade I lists, know, and I'm like, I, know. I barely can put together a grocery list. So <laughs> I hate, I'm man, just uh, ready to flip the page. <laughs> I know. I, it's hard to believe a decade is coming to a close here. And, and you know, I, I've started to see a lot, of, a lot of people trying to kind of put out. I think one thing uh, I'd like to see is an all-NLL decade team, the best of the best in the last 10 years of the National Cross League. I bet you a number of Rush players make that list. Um, well, we got to go back, uh, I think, to Colorado. Uh, that Colorado game that kicked off the season down there in Denver is where we need to begin here, Flats. And it was a good start for Saskatchewan. Always a tough place to play down there in Denver. They squeak out a 9-8 victory for their opening game of the season. They get a little revenge on those mammoth, uh, but held under 10 goals. So not all peaches and cream there for Saskatchewan. But the most important thing, they start the season 1-0 and with a win over the mammoth. Yeah, absolutely. And a nice to get Colorado kind of out of the way early um, because as much as, you know, the team would like to downplay it, I think, you know, they had that loss in the West semi on their minds all throughout the off season. And anytime that's lingering, you want to see the team that caused you that heartache, get that taken care of. So that was nice for them to kind of get that check in the box and, yeah, low-scoring game. Uh, I think we saw a number of low-scoring games in Week 1, uh, but also just, you know, Dylan Ward always gives the rush troubles just like he does for every other team. So not a big surprise. They played a lot of low-scoring games against the Mammoth in the past, but to go on the road in a tough building to play in the Loud House and to pick up a tight win, a uh, good way to set the tone for the year, for sure. And I think one of the positives also coming out of that game was Robert Church and the game he had three goals, five assists, in on eight out of the nine goals there for the rush. And, and we all know the struggles that Churchy had last year, kind of starting the season with that contract dispute, the injury, all the rest of it, and never really got the engine going to Robert Church standards, but uh, comes firing out of the gates in that one, and that was a real good sign to see for Saskatchewan. Huge, huge. Yeah, um, you know, I think close to a 40-point drop for Robert Church last season from two years ago when he cleared the 100-point plateau. And so once you've hit that mark, you know, people know that you're capable of doing it. And so to have only, I think it was 67 points last year, 
that was a pretty big letdown for Robert Church. And we, not, we talked a lot about the injury that he had last season. He started the season with, but it was, and you just mentioned it, there were other factors too. And, and I'm talking to him just before the season, he was the one who brought it up to me that, you know, the contract situation and not getting a training camp as a result of that. And then you throw in the whole labor dispute that was mm. going on at the start of last season right. too, also threw some uncertainty into the mix. And so there was just not a lot of uh, stable ground for some players and especially ones that had contract situations like church did. And, and so I think that just set him back a bit and then you get the injury right off the hop and that might have something to do with maybe not getting a lot of play early on and getting a full training camp and injuries tend to happen a little more easily when you're not into that condition yet. And so a whole sort of, I think domino effect almost of, of situations. And so, yeah, great to see, Robert Church coming out the gate the way we know he can. Big performance uh, in Colorado and uh, really reassuring, I think, for the rush as well, given some of the changes they've made to their offense this year. Yeah, and and we're going to talk to Jeff McComb about the changes on the offense, so we don't want to spend too much time on that. But Mm -hmm. a bit of a funky schedule here, not only for Saskatchewan, but a lot of teams throughout December. Of course, the season's starting right at the end of November, earlier than it has ever in the National Lacrosse League. So a week off, a bye after that victory from Colorado, and then they get back to Sastel Center for the home opener and all the anticipation, all the rest of it, as they're taking on the Black Wolves, who are coming off a victory over the Toronto Rock on the road. And as we know, New England has given Saskatchewan some trouble over the previous years as they come into Saskatoon and they flipped the script on Saskatchewan, where Saskatchewan beat Colorado 98. That was the score for New England over Saskatchewan. And a game that Derek Keenan said coming out of the second half uh, interview there with Daniela that they got outworked. They weren't ready to play coming out of the gates. And that score reflected in the first half. They played much better in the second half. But Evan Kirk got pulled in that game. Adam Shute came in and played very well. Mark Matthews, kind of the only guy offensively that was going. I think Shatler had one, but nothing from Dinsdale or McIntosh or Church or Keenan or Connor Robinson for that matter. And you're not going to win too many lacrosse games with that. A good push from from the rush, but not enough as the Black Wolves start the season 2-0 and with an impressive, I don't want to take anything away from them because I think they were full marks for the victory. 9-8 for the Black Wolves. Yeah, and I, I got a, uh, I think perhaps you're, uh, um, the, the disappointment of the loss, maybe you, you, you've conveniently omitted a couple goals because they actually hung 12 on the Oh, rush. my bad, yeah. In I that, don't know where I'm getting 9-8 from. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blocking out I bad all, memories. I think we'd all like to prefer it was nine instead of they had nine in the first half, though. You know, it was a 9-4 game at halftime, and you talked about the work. That is something that I think was the most uh, surprising to see from uh, a rush perspective is a, a team that, you know, they've had, obviously they've won more games than they've lost in the last few years by a significant margin, but even in the games when they lose, you don't usually see them get outworked the way they did in that first half against New England. And, uh, you know, Evan Kirk had a shaky start. He got the hook after the first six goals. But, you know, some of that had to do with the way they were playing in front of them. Um, I thought they played a lot better in the second half. But New England, and, you know, we won't talk too much about them because this is a rush podcast. But <laughs> yes. they're, for, they're for real. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they showed us this weekend as well that they're for real. Um, and, and so you got to give them full credit, but the rush, boy, when you dig yourself a five goal hole against a team with the kind of, uh, talent that the new England black wolves have at halftime, that's 
tough to dig yourself out of. And as much as they tried it, Kyle Rubish yeah. uh, threw on his offensive uh, shoes for the night and scored a couple of goals. Uh, it just, they never got back within more than three and it was just a disappointing night all around. I think, especially for fans that had still had the memory of the, the loss and the last time they were in the building in the West semifinal and to come back and see a pretty flat first half. That was not, uh, not the most encouraging sign, but it is still early in the season. There's still plenty of time to turn that around. Yeah. A bit of a letdown, I would say, but I, like, I also kind of, I think I said it to you after the game, if you're going to, if you're going to take a loss like that, Best to do it early in the season, and a bit of a wake-up call, I think, for Saskatchewan in that one. Um, as you're right, I, I don't know what happened there. I think I must have had uh, a little too much eggnog over the holidays or something. <laughs> I, I, I washed away the, the bitter memories of, of that loss to the Black Wolves. But I think where I was going with that is is they get nine against Colorado, and then they only come up with eight against New England, mm-hmm. and and. We're, again, we're going to talk to, to Bubba about it, but the, the change on the offense from going righty strong to lefty strong, I think, has had an effect on this, and it's going to take a little time for these guys to figure it out before that engine gets running on, on, on all eight cylinders. Well, sure. There's some muscle memory there, too, right? Like, these guys have been playing, most of them, uh, with the exception of Robinson, have been playing in one system for several years. And so their instincts and, you know, the decision-making and who goes where and who slides where when you're, you know, you're in certain sets, there's certain ways their brains are wired because they've been playing under one system. So that's going to take a little bit of rewiring. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's just, that's just natural. Um, so yeah, but these guys are too talented and too, uh, intel- intelligent lacrosse players to not get it figured out. Uh, I'm certain, you know, that as the season rolls on, they will start to, to start to gain some steam and we're going to start to see that offense clicking the way that we are used to seeing it click uh, over the the last few years. So two games in the books here for Saskatchewan. Ryan Dilk's coming up in about five, six, seven minutes from now. Let's move on to game number three as uh, the boys got another break, another bye week. Uh, got a chance to spend a little time with friends and family over the holidays, maybe get a little turkey, hopefully not too much as uh, they had to head back east, which historically has been a bit of an issue for Saskatchewan going east and, and playing games. Um, their record much stronger in the West, but they go to New York, an expansion team that, well, let's let's say it how it is here, Flats. They've struggled out of the gates, have the riptide, and, and maybe this was the get-well card that, that the Rush were looking for. But this is a, a pretty tight game for a good portion of it before the rush pull away at the end of it and, and some good signs showing at the end of this game. And I think maybe the best sign of all was the performance from Evan Kirk who really bounced back in between the pipes and looked phenomenal. And and maybe that's really the M.O. for Evan Kirk. When, when he has an off game, he is off. And when <laughs> Evan Kirk is on, he is really on. And he was really on in New York as they win that one 11-4 going away over the Riptide. Yeah, he was seeing the ball so well uh, against New York, Evan Kirk was. And, uh, you know, yeah, he got the hook, and he wasn't great uh, against New England. He had a, there was at least two of the six goals he let in that you just don't normally see him let in, but uh, he sure knows how to respond. He had a game last season against Rochester. There, he only allowed five. I yeah, think like he does that, that came the, the bounce back. Yeah, the bounce back for Evan Kirk. I think he might be the best goaltender. And and like as a goaltender, you want to be consistent every game, and you don't want to get yanked. But when it does happen, 
he is so good at putting that behind him and coming back refocused and, and usually plays his best goal. Well, 44 saves uh, on 48 shots. And it, yes, you're facing an expansion team that maybe doesn't have the same kind of caliber of offensive players as some of the other teams do, but they still have some very good players. And I thought, especially in the second half, where Saskatchewan's offense again struggled, there was real promising signs in that first half as they put up nine. And then they almost went the entire second half without scoring. Yeah. wasn't until about two minutes left that they got one and then they got an empty netter. So they got to double digits for the first time, but it was not uh, a gimme. And Evan Kirk made some really key saves, especially in the third quarter uh, where they had a cushion. So he at least had that lead, but they weren't scoring. The offense had dried up and he made saves time and time again to maintain that lead. And that allowed, I think their offensive guys to relax a little bit and not, squeeze the sticks too much because they were kind of doing that in the second half. Yeah, But uh, it was a promising game, not just from Evan Kirk, but I thought, you know, we saw Holden Garland score his first NLL goal. The transition game, I thought, looked the best it has through the first three games of the season. Uh, that's how they kind of got the game going with a couple of goals in transition and kind of got off to a, a 4-0 start in the first quarter. And uh, Robert Church was back like he was in the first week, had a four-goal night. Uh, so there was, uh, the offense looked like it was making some strides. The second half, I'd like to see more from them, but Evan Kirk doing his job in the defense. Let's not forget that defense. And they played very well, I think, through the first three games, uh, other than a couple of missed assignments. Uh, let's not sleep on that defense. They've been very good through three games. Yeah, absolutely. As uh, Jordy Jones-Smith gets back in the lineup, Jeff Cornwall not available for this one. He should be good to go for the rest of the year from from what I understand uh, for Saskatchewan due to his work commitments. But uh, a guy we didn't really talk about there, uh, by the way, on that empty net goal, did you see the one-handed behind-the-back yes. pass by Matthews to set up the empty? Like, I don't think that got enough attention. That thing was sick. I, he, was, he, was, he was in a double team against with his face to the boards. And with one hand, his right hand, he just yeah, underhand no. slipper backwards, <laughs> perfect perfect on on point to robert church yeah. for his fourth goal of the game i think i tweeted something like yeah ho hum just yeah. another day at the office yeah. for mark matthews but you know he just even though he has the single season assist record i don't think he's really fully appreciated for his distribution abilities of all the superstars in the nll um he's the he's the one guy that almost does it the, the, the quietest yeah. which is strange to say for a, a guy his size and with his shot but he piles up the points almost quietly because of so many great little assists that he makes. And that was one of his best. That was vintage Mark Matthews. Absolutely. Special delivery from the mailman there, Ryan Flaherty. Uh, and I thought uh, just before we, we get on to Ryan Dilks here, I thought Justin Robinson, who came into the lineup, looked very good as well. And it's funny, when, when Keenan drafted both Holden Garland and Justin Robinson, and we were talking to him about those two players. He he kind of said he's like, man, he's like, I hate to say it, but they're almost carbon copies of each other. And J Rob did not look out of place there in New York. No, I actually had to look back to make sure he was making his debut because I thought, did we see him in the first two games? Because he just looked comfortable out there. Yeah. He gets the assist on the first goal for for Church in a little reverse transition situation and. That's nice to get your first NLL point out of the way just a few minutes into your first game. But he definitely, like, there weren't any moments in the game where, and again, 
we're talking about an offense they're facing an offense that it doesn't have maybe a full complement of firepower but he still there wasn't any moments in the game where you're like oh who missed their assignment there oh it was yeah. 53 you yeah. know like you're you weren't looking to see who screwed up and oh it was the new guy like he he was where he needed to be when he needed to be there and uh an un, unspectacular game which is what you expect from players when they come into the league uh, with few exceptions and but he did his job and he fit into the to the uh, unit quite well absolutely couldn't agree more we got to uh take a quick break here ryan flaherty we got the rush defender number 24 in your rush program ryan dilks is coming up on the other side you got it right here on the rush hour podcast presented by merlin ford lincoln Hey, Rush Nation, this is Holden Garland from the Saskatchewan Rush. You're listening to the Rush Hour podcast presented by Merlin Ford Lincoln, your premier choice Ford Lincoln dealer in Saskatoon. Welcome back to the Rush Hour podcast uh, presented by Merlin Ford Lincoln, premier dealer in Saskatoon. Need a Ford? Need a Lincoln? Head to Merlin Ford Lincoln there in beautiful Saskatoon. Can't wait to get back into Toontown. It won't happen until... The 18th, well, the 17th of January when they take on the Colorado Mammoth on the 18th. Another game squeezed in before that against San Diego. We'll talk about that a little bit later as it's Jake Elliott, Ryan Flaherty with you and now joined by a nine-year veteran in the National Lacrosse League, also a former Defender of the Year. It's Ryan Dilks on the podcast. Uh, Ryan, welcome back to the National Lacrosse League. Welcome back to the Rush and welcome to the Rush Hour podcast. Thanks for doing this. Oh, no problem. Thanks, boys. Appreciate you having me on, and uh, I'm excited. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Uh, let's let's start with the excitement. I know you've been asked this a lot, Ryan, but uh, we'll ask you the first time here on the podcast. Just when you knew the probation with the firefighters was over and you were going to get a chance to play lacrosse again and, and be back with the boys with the rush, and I know you were kind of lingering around there a little bit last year, but it's not the same when you can get the pads on and, and get after it a bit. Uh, how... I mean, are you still excited? Is that feeling still there for you? Absolutely. You know, like it, uh, it was a bittersweet feeling taking the year off. You know, it, it, it was for a good reason. It was obviously a big career move by me to actually get a, a big boy job and uh, have a a 23-year job ahead of me. But now uh, it was tough taking that year off. You know, like it was, it was painful. I felt helpless. I couldn't really... I could help the boys. I wanted to be a part of the team, but at the same time, I had to take a seat back, which is something I'm definitely not used to. And uh, at least I knew I was coming back, or I, I knew my probation. I, there was a return date I kind of had in my mind, so it, it made it a little bit easier. Like I, I, it scares me to think about retirement when there is no return date, because <laughs> yes. uh, at least I had. At least I had motivation to kind of like keep me in shape, keep going, and and look forward to you know. And one day I I will be back. So I'm still very excited to be back. I'm still excited to see the guys every weekend. It's just great to be back. Ryan, I'm curious. I mean, you talked about it. this is your ninth season in the NLL, and I know you and I were talking a few weeks ago. And I was we were, I was running you through a bunch of just sort of favorites and questions, and you were talking about. I asked you your favorite individual moment, and you went back to the time that you were drafted as a fifth round pick who's kind of gone on to play as long as you have and, and be a defensive player of the year, like having that year off, does that, does that give you time? I know you're obviously very preoccupied with some other things during that year, but 
does that give you a chance to take stock of your lacrosse career and sort of how far you've gone with a sport that I know you was kind of, you entered the draft on a whim. For sure. You know, like, uh, like I was telling you before, I, I kind of just entered the draft because someone kind of mentioned it to me. I was still kind of living the hockey dream at the time. And, uh, at the time I, I had no idea that it was going to be so important in my life, but now looking back, like I, I'm so happy that like the Toronto rock and like Matt Sawyer took a shot, took a chance with me in the fifth round. Like why I went a year early in the draft, like thank God they did take a chance because who knows what happened. And, uh, all I can think of now is I look back and like my life has just been shaped by almost that moment. Like, uh, I played a year in Boston and then crazy things happened in Boston when we folded in and the expansion draft happened and I, I got picked up 11th and I'd, who knows what happened if Edmonton didn't pick me up then. And then I moved to, moved to Edmonton where I found my wife and I got my job and, and it's, I, I just have so much to thankful for lacrosse and uh, I'm just grateful to be part of the league still. Yeah, and a fifth-round pick, Ryan. Like, there's not a lot of guys in the league that that make active rosters in the fifth round. Never mind past the second round. What do you What do you attribute that to? Did you just come in with the mindset like I'm just going to give everything I got to to try and make this team? Or, I mean, what did, was there a lot of confidence there? Like, what was your mindset coming in as a fifth-round pick into a, into the National Cross League? Definitely, I had uh, low expectations. That I, I was thinking, so I was still playing hockey. So I was like, oh, maybe like, I think I didn't really know much about the National Lacrosse League. So I thought, I thought to be honest, I'd be like, kind of like in the system somehow for like a few years. I like, did their plans, but like <laughs> looking back, like that's not how this league works at all. Like unfortunately, like if you get released, like you're you're just in the pool again. And yeah, like, most who knows guys don't get a second chance. chance. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I just went in the training camp, just a nervous, really nervous 20-year-old. I'll never forget the moment I walked into the ILA for the first weekend, and uh, uh, they asked me to sign sign like a little like um, waiver form or something like that, and I grabbed a pen, and my hand was shaking so hard that <laughs> I, couldn't even, I couldn't even sign the sheet. I, had to, I literally had to put the pen down, like just walk away a little bit, take a deep breath, and I came back and signed the waiver. So... Um, I'm happy it all worked out. You know, like I, I just went in there saying, what the hell? Like, let's not take a, let's take a chance. No one knows who you are. So give it all you got. So now that you're back, but you have this whole, you said it, the big boy job now, uh, how does life change for you now, uh, as a being a, you know, a full-time firefighter, but now also playing, cause there are a number of guys that don't know league. It's a fairly popular profession for lacrosse players, uh, uh, how does life change for you now that you have that uh, on your plate as well as playing for the rush? Uh, I, it's good. Life is life is really good now. You know, it's it's uh, almost less stressful just because um, it's not an easy job to get on. Like it, out of high school, I've been kind of building my resume to get to get that job. So it's been a long journey and. Uh, it, it was pretty stressful at times going to writing these exams, uh, doing these fitness tests, doing these inter- interview training, and 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 trying to get on. Because, you know, like I'm I'm 29 years old, and and uh, it was time. I thought it was the right age to start applying and doing that. So 
um, it's almost less stressful now. Now that I have the job, I'm a full-time employee. I can almost uh, focus on my lacrosse career again more than more than usual, and uh, it feels good. Well, I don't. Uh, as we speak with Ryan Dilks uh, of the Saskatchewan Rusher, I don't want to. I don't want to add to your plate here, Ryan. But uh, now you 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 know you're a full-time employee with the firefighters uh, you got your your gig here with the rush you're you're a married man uh, you know what normally comes next after all those steps here uh, Dilksy. uh is there is there is there maybe a possibility that uh you could i don't want i don't want to give you the term papa dilks because we all know him but uh is fatherhood maybe in the in the future for the dilks family if I don't answer yes, I think my mom would kill me. You know, I, I'm the uh, oldest of five boys, and uh, definitely, you know, like uh, me and my wife are probably going to start trying in the near near future here. And uh, it's yeah, my my parents are dying for some grandkids. So I absolutely, hopefully, if it all works out one day in the near future, for sure. I uh, look forward to that. Uh, we'll see if she lets you keep the mustache going for, for that. Does she like that thing? Like, what, uh, You're going to hang on to that for a while? This is the wife's choice. Okay. This is, okay. This is uh, her choice. With our uh, firefight job, we have to shave every day. And uh, if you want to grow something, you can only grow a mustache. So I remember I was always a beer guy. And uh, when I had to sh- start shaving, uh, my wife was just giving me these looks like, oh, what else? What else can we do here? And, and I'm like, well, I can grow a mustache. And she's like, OK, let's try that. So she, she likes it. So okay. until she says that's, otherwise. I mean, and, really, uh, that's all that matters, man. Like it doesn't, you that's know, that, that's all that matters. Uh, let's get back that's to a little lacrosse talk here, Ryan Dilks. And, and coming back into the fold and, and, and probably when you look back over your left or your right shoulder, you don't see Jimmy Quinlan there. You see Jeremy Talevi, and and I know he's a guy that's been around Derek Keene a long time and knows the system in and out, and and probably the same verbiage and, and key terms and all that. But it's a different voice back there. How how has that adjustment been? What's it been like to play for Jeremy? So far, it's been great. You know, I think uh, Jeremy's a great guy. He fits in with the in the locker room really well, and uh, he knows his stuff. Um, obviously, no one's ever replaced Jimmy Quinlan. Jimmy Quinlan was one of the best coaches I've ever had. He's a character in the room. Uh, I had the pleasure of playing with him in my first few years with Edmonton, and then uh, we actually still remain friends to this day. So um, it was tough to see him go. You know, I think it was kind of a, a bad timing for all of us here to go down on losing me and Jeff and Jimmy, which is, I think is the most important part because we had a lot of new guys that didn't know the system. So I'm sure Jeremy had his hands full along with like, the leadership, like Cap with Rubes and uh, Torbs and those guys sure. trying to teach – all these new guys. So I'm sure that's, you, you saw the results. It, it was kind of an off year, which was, which made it so painful for us that we couldn't help out. But, uh, I think Jeremy's doing a great job so far. He's like I said, he, he knows his stuff. The guys respect him. He's, he knows when to be serious. He knows when to joke around. And, uh, I think he's doing just fine so far. Well, and you, and picking up on that, I, I know last year there was a bit of a, I don't want to call it a transition year, uh, but there was a lot of change. And now you come back, Jeff comes back, and uh, Jake and I were just talking before you came on about the fact that the D looks pretty darn good through three games. I know there's obviously stuff you guys want to improve upon, but just what has been your uh, assessment, I guess, through three games now uh, of how that unit and how your unit has performed. Uh, I think it's pretty good. Like you said, like um, I think there's still lots of room to improve, but uh, it, it was definitely eye-opening for me when I first 
came to camp, you know, like when I was back in the league uh, two years ago, there was only nine teams. So four teams have been added. So this was the first year that expansion really hit me and kind of realized, made me realize that, okay, like we lost some pretty key components here. And uh, fortunately, like our GM, Derek Ian, saw this coming. It's just, it's just what he does. Yeah. And uh, he loaded up with draft pits. And uh, <clears throat> I think he did another stellar job of uh, – filling in the pieces that we missed and it's been it's been um interesting it's been good because like i i've never had to teach so much i i enjoy teaching the young guys i think the young guys are really they they show up to practice they really want to learn which is which is awesome that's what all we can expect from rookies and and not only are they learning they're performing like uh it's uh, it's fun to play with these new guys, and I think we're going to do okay. Yeah, like we saw Holden Garland get his first goal. We saw J-Rob uh, get an assist on the first goal of the game. Uh, Jordy Jones-Smith now with a year under his belt. Talk about these new guys, Ryan. And and, and you just mentioned, like, you, you do some teaching during practice, as does Corbs and Rubes and, and a couple of other the core guys. Um, but these rookies, it's not an easy thing, as you know, to just step into the league and and be an impact player. But these guys have not looked out of place. Absolutely, you no. Know, like uh, Holden Garland look, looks like he's a five six year vet already. You know, like haven't really seen him make any mistakes out there, and he's pushed the ball up, and and uh, it's he's definitely living up to the fourth overall pit that he was selected. So, uh, and the other guys aren't aren't far behind. You know, like they're. A couple of them are in and out of the lineup, but like none of them are complaining. They're all asking questions, and they're just excited to be in there. And and uh, so far, it's been it's been good. You know, we, I, other than that New England game where we had a kind of a collapse in the first and second quarter parts of it, I, I thought other than that, our defense has looked uh, pretty solid so far. What about for yourself for your game uh, after a year off? Uh, now that you've had a few under your belt, do you feel like you're where, – where do you feel that you're at, I guess, compared to maybe where your game was at uh, when before before you took your, your year off? That's uh, a good question. You know, I, having that year off kind of gave me time to think and reflect on and my on my career. And uh, I was a little – not disappointed, but I didn't like – looking back to how the last few years of my career have gone, you can, you can see like with the numbers and stuff like that, my numbers have kind of gone down and, and uh, I feel like I still have a lot to give and that I can still be um, an elite player in this league. And so that definitely motivated me to get back in shape and uh, just want to be where I was at in the, the 20, 2013, 2016 range where I was uh, really, really playing good lacrosse and, uh, it, it's it was a little bit of a struggle at the start just to adjust to the speed again. You know, it, like it's it's so fast, and like especially with me getting older and probably slower, and these young guys are just getting quicker and shiftier, and their stitch skills are getting even better. That it, it was a little bit of an adjustment to come back in the game, but um, you know, once I kind of got my confidence back, I feel like uh, I feel like I can get to that point again, and hopefully, I can keep playing how I have been, and we'll see how what happens. Um, we're going to see you back at the Sastel Center in mid-January. But before that, Ryan, you're going to get a chance to go down and take on the San Diego Seals on the 12th. Uh, now, the boys have been down there 
at least once already. You have not. I don't know if you've ever even been to San Diego, but uh, how nope. forward are you looking to this? Are you, you going to bring the board shows? What kind of SPF does does Ryan Dilks uh, rock down there in SoCal? Because it's it's a little <laughs> bit different than, than being in Saskatoon. It's a little bit different, yeah. That's uh, one way to put it. Yeah, no, I'm excited. It's that's definitely one of the best parts with these expansion teams. Is that they're not only not only is it cool to have new teams in this league, but it's it's really fun and exciting cities. And the guys have not have said nothing but uh, great things about San Diego. I've never been, so um, excited to actually maybe pack a pair of shorts instead of uh, three jackets and three sweaters. And <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I love Saskatoon, but you know, it's it's cold. It it's is. Cold there. It so, is. Uh, how was New York? What was New York like? It was cool. You know, it was, uh, I've never been to New York either. And, uh, um, unfortunately I had to take a little later flight Friday. So I got in Friday night. So I, I didn't have a lot of time and, but, uh, just like just flying over New York, seeing, seeing the Isle at Manhattan and, and, uh, downtown New York and seeing, uh, um, just everything that comes with it, driving through it. It, it felt pretty cool. You know, hopefully one year I'll, I'll be smart enough to board some extra extra days and me and my wife can go down and visit. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it was cool playing on Nassau. You know, I'd seen seen those uh, Islander, um, all the, the Islander history there and all the championships they won. I, it, it always It's always a cool feeling for us. And a trip is always better when it ends with a win. I'm sure that makes it a little more enjoyable, too. I have uh, just one more question for you, Ryan, and it's uh, touching back on your, your being away and coming back. Who did you miss the most? Was there, or, or what? You could take it any way you like it, but what was the, what was there a teammate that you missed, you know, I know the in the locker room? I know or? the answer. I think, yeah, I think Jake probably knows, but a lot, I, I miss the whole team, obviously, but you know, like guys that I've been friends with, like Corbs and and uh, Rudes. I, I miss Brett, unfortunately, uh, he, he's gone now. But um, it, it was just a lot of the small things I miss. I, I, it's hard to explain. Like I miss just the shenanigans that go down in the dressing room, the the, the fines, the Kendrick Court, the the little superstitions we do, just the little game day lunch meals we do together, and all the just all the jokes and stuff like that. Like honestly, it's it's hard to explain until you actually do it, and you're a part of like a close team like that, which makes it so yeah. so fun, and it makes it so hard to step away. And and really, that's that's the answer that you get out of most guys when they retire or they yeah. take a couple of years away from the game. What do you miss the most? And it's the boys, it's the room, and all those things uh, that you just mentioned. Uh, you don't have to miss them anymore, Ryan. And a motivated Ryan Dilks is a good Ryan Dilks, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, hey. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for making time. Uh, I hope you had a great what, – what's the plan for New Year's? What are you doing for New Year's? Uh, I think we might have a little house party. Oh. Couple, yeah. Nothing crazy. Couple, uh, just some games night. You know, it's uh, – I'm running out of friends, and uh, all our <laughs> friends are starting to have kids. So it's hey, hard man. to find some guys that come out. So. You're preaching to the choir, buddy. Hey, thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks for doing this. Happy New Year, and uh, best of luck down there in SoCal, and we'll see you – in Saskatoon on the 18th of January for Prairie Pride Night. Can't wait, man. Can't wait. Thanks for having me on, guys, and uh, have a happy New Year. You too. That was Ryan Dilks, number 24 of your Saskatchewan Rush Flats, and uh, so good to see Dilksy back in a Rush uniform. It's fantastic. And I got to say, on a 
personal level, on a selfish personal level, as someone who covers the team uh, in my regular job, uh, just a tremendous, as you heard in that interview, just a great great uh, guy to talk to, makes my job as a reporter easier. He's always willing and giving of his time and uh heck of a player. Uh, we were giving him a bit of uh, the gears about missing the empty netter in his first game back, but uh, <laughs> yes. he... Other than that, he doesn't look like he's lost a step at all. And it was really interesting to hear him talk about how he felt about his last couple of years before he took the year off. Because I think to the average fan, that wouldn't have been apparent. You know, I think he was still playing some pretty high-level lacrosse. But when you're the 2016 Defensive Player of the Year, that sets the bar. And he, he, he knows he can be that guy. So to see him back and, and, and showing that kind of level of hunger um, is great to see. It's great for the rush. And his personality, not that they have any shortage of personalities, but having his personality back in that room, I think, is maybe, I won't say it's bigger than his play on the floor, but that might be the, the real. Him and Cornwall both back in that room yeah, yeah. could be one of the, that missing ingredient, you know, that wasn't there last year. A couple of guys who just know when to keep when to you know make jokes and how to keep it loose and Diltz especially is a is a really solid leader for that team so i think they really miss that leadership and his his character and having him back is going to go a long way for the rush this year no question about it and and man like i gave him a chance to throw corbs under the bus uh, just as chris <laughs> did uh, on episode 1 of the rush hour podcast and and Diltz took the, he took the high road on the captain there he does. He does tend to do that, doesn't he? Ah, <laughs> uh, good on him. Good on him. He knows he doesn't want. To, he doesn't want to pick most. up any more fines uh, in Kangaroo Court uh, come next month here. So, hey, let's uh, let's take a break. And, and we talked a lot about that Saskatchewan Rush offense in the first three games, and we're going to talk to the mastermind behind it all, Jeff McComb. Bubba is coming up on the other side here. You got it on the Rush Hour podcast presented by Merlin Ford Lincoln in Saskatoon. We're right back after this. Hey, Rush Nation. This is Kyle Rubish from the Saskatchewan Rush. You are listening to Rush Hour podcast with Jake Elliott. Welcome back to Rush Hour, presented by Merlin Ford, Lincoln, Jake Kelly, Ryan Flaherty with you. This is season two, episode number two. Uh, truth be told, we're, we're recording on December the 30th here. I don't know why that would be a secret, but I, I just felt like I need to tell people that. Uh, a day before the turn of the calendar, well, a day and a half, I suppose. Um, now joining the podcast here is the offensive mastermind. I call him an offensive genius, Ryan. It's Jeff McComb on the podcast. Bubs, I don't think we've we've had a chance to have a nice formal chat like this. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, as are we. Uh, we normally, you know, we get our conversation in around the breakfast table there at the, at the hotel in Saskatoon for the most part. So I think a lot of people, and I'm just going to dive right in here on you, uh, I think a lot of people are, are have a lot of questions about what's happening with the offense this year, with the departure of Curtis Knight, the emergence of Connor Robinson, the, the shift from predominantly a strong right side to a, a strong left side. And and I don't want to go over the head of a lot of people here, but it's a big shift as far as what you need to know 
what to do and when to do it in your offensive system. And I don't know if you can dumb it down for us or even me, Bubba, because I like it's a very complex <laughs> offense. But just I, I've been trying to tell fans just to slow it down a little bit here because it's going to take a little time for guys like Matthews, Shatler, Keenan, Robinson to learn how to play in a three-man system because they've always predominantly played in the two-man game under you. And, and it's the same thing on the other side. Those guys got to get used to playing a two-man game on, on the righty side now. So break this down for me as best you can. What is the biggest difference between playing on the weak side and playing on the strong side? Well, I think, you know, anybody that's played the game or even watched the game, the two-man side's fairly easy, right? Like you're pick and roll or you're going to clear out for the guy where the three-man side, it's almost the question across an offense a lot of times is what the heck do you do with that third guy, right? Yeah. And um, the way we run it, we have some pretty specific kind of things that we want you to do as that third guy, or it's not even the third guy, just where your spacing is going to be with the three guys on that side of the floor. And it, it takes some time just to get used to when I have to be where and what the kind of movements are out of it. And, you know, we're, we're still working through that a little bit, but you know, the other, I would throw maybe our, the main um, struggle we're kind of having right now is teams have really adapted to what we've done over probably the last six, seven years. And we're having to change almost philosophically a little bit how we play offense because our looks that we got before aren't there all the time anymore. So we have to kind of pick and choose when we're going to go to our core kind of looks and we're trying to redevelop some other things around it so we can continue to be kind of the offense that we have been. I find that really interesting because what you're saying is even though you've got to made a a shift here in terms of the deployment of the righties and the lefties, but regardless of that change, you're still having to make uh, other adjustments because of how other teams have adapted to your style of play. Can you maybe expand on that a little bit? And just how does how, how have teams kind of adjusted to you guys? And I would say maybe not even to us. It's how how uh, it seems to be a shift in philosophy on defense across the league in the last. I would even say you know last half of last year and even this year. Um, where teams before they try to push the ball, you know, down the boards or down the wall, as we call it, and, you know, um, anchor on creases and do that kind of thing, where more teams now are saying, like, we don't want to give up that, you know, you running down the wall to the goal and kind of a maybe a two-on-one on the crease type thing. And with teams going behind a lot now, they've almost said, we're going to funnel everything to the middle and we're going to help from the other side and we're going to force you to try to make two or three passes while we recover. And by doing that, they really pack it in and, and it's almost like a zone defense. A lot of the times that we're, you're playing against or seeing now where everybody's really packed in tight. So you're, you're going to have to take mid range shots. So you're not going to get wide open looks in the middle of the floor a lot with the way teams are playing. And that's what we're trying to adjust our offense to. Everybody wants to get to the middle of the floor and to the top of the crease to score goals, and and it's just not an easy thing to do. But, Jeff, I mean, one of the things I kind of marvel at you is your in-game management. And and you'll go out, and and I don't know how many set plays you got in the playbook or whether it's all up in your your brain or not, but you'll you'll go out and run a play, and if they take that away – 
you're so good at seeing things at real time and making that adjustment on the fly. Where where does that come from? Is that just years of experience, or does your do you think your brain just kind of works at a different level than most? Because I don't think that's a that's a trait that a lot of coaches possess, where they can see something happen so quickly and then go, okay, they're doing that. We're going to do this. And has that always been in your repertoire? Yeah, I guess so. Like, I think it's over years of doing it, right? Like we're pretty, and I mean, maybe that's part of the, a little bit of the struggle we're having to start this year is that we, you know, really have a structured offense and, um, we have a multiple options off of it, but we've kind of done it for a long period of time now. So we're having to, you know, kind of maybe change what we, how we've played and the guys are finding that a little bit of a struggle as a, as am I at times. But the, I think the more times you give yourself more options off what you're doing. And I've always, I've always described it to our guys and I don't know if it's a good analogy or not, but I've said, it's kind of like, paint by numbers, right? I'm going to give you the outline and kind of where you, what I'd like you to do in terms of the outline, but inside that outline, you guys can be creative and color and use whatever kind of things you want inside those lines. And that's where their creative skill, their natural ability, all that comes in. But if everybody kind of knows generally where somebody's going to be or what we're going to do, how we're going to read and react to certain things, we're going to be much better off at being able to adjust or do different things off of those things. What does, because uh, you've been obviously doing this for a long time. I'm curious how you talked about how the, there's been a bit of a shift in how teams are playing defense. How much has the overall kind of improvement of the talent pool of goaltenders? Cause I think we used to see, you know, maybe two or three, four teams had a really standout goal. The other guys were kind of, you know, putting it together. Now you look across the board and the talent level of the goaltenders is so much higher, I feel like, than it even was a decade ago uh, from from one team to the next. How much has that driven, you know, the need to make offensive innovations? Do you Have you had to, you know, adjust your mindset because of the improvement in goalie play? Yeah, I think that's part and parcel of the shift in defensively. Like, you've got goalies now where teams, I think, before were saying, well, we got to go out and pressure a little bit because we can't be giving up a ton of mid-range shots or we're going to get killed here, right? Where now, when you have, most teams have a really good, solid starting goalie, and a lot of them have good backup goalies, you go, I don't mind giving up mid-range shots because I know my goalie is going to save 85% of those. So, you know, it changes your philosophy in defense. Like Colorado is a perfect example. They have an excellent defensive system, but it's anchored on Dylan Ward making 60 saves a night from mid-range shots and being able to be at the top of his crease. So you got to adjust and how are you going to beat that, right? Absolutely. As uh, we speak with Jeff McComb, and Ryan just mentioned, Bubs, that you've been at this a long time. And, and for I, – I don't know this, so I, I'm assuming a lot of Rush Nation doesn't know this as well. Where did it all begin for – like where you – you were a player – I know that much. You were a player back in your day. But how did the how did the relationship start with, with Jammer? How long have you guys been coaching together? What have you guys accomplished together back in, in minor and junior? Like run me through the full Jeff McComb coaching resume. Huh. Um, well, I, I first met Derek. Um, I was uh, a high school student looking to play lacrosse down the States and – um, I was thinking about going to Ithaca where Derek met, went. So I set up a meeting with him to talk to him about, you know, Ithaca and what it might offer me. So that's when I first met Derek and, um, I happened to just 
before I went down to college, I blew my knee out playing. I was a junior player playing for the Brooklyn Redmen, and I blew my knee out and tried to come back from that over the next year or two, but it never really worked out. And so I got into coaching fairly young with uh, the great Jim Bishop and uh-huh. uh, in Whitby with his 1995 um Junior A team, so I, that was the Gene Ashes, the Pat Joneses, the, that kind of group. We won a couple of middle cups there in '97 and '99 with those groups, and um, I think it was when Derek got hired in Anaheim. We kind of knew each other from around town a little bit before that, but when he got hired in Anaheim in 2005, I'd been coaching, I guess, for about 10 years in the Whitby system, and had done a year with the Buffalo Bandits in 2001 under Teddy Sawicki. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, that was the year that Teddy happened to get fired after he hired me halfway through the year, and we finished with uh, (laughs) I shouldn't laugh at that. I shouldn't laugh at that. Yeah, well, it's the way things go, right? You get hired to get fired in coaching. And um, that was the – they brought Darius Kilgore in the year after that in Buffalo. So Darius had quite the run. Yeah quite the run there so that was a good decision on buffalo's part and i was out for a couple years and then we ended up in anaheim with Derek, where i spent a year in anaheim with him three years in portland um uh at the time there i think we were we were doing a good job it's just the franchise just didn't have money to fly coaches in anymore and then there was around that time back uh where i had coached junior a and whitby i was still doing that when we were doing the pro league so i was from 1995 to 2008 there in Whitby on the bench. And uh, my first guy, little guy was born in 08. So I took a couple of years off and then it was like, they were looking for a coach in Whitby again. And Derek uh, Ryan was still midget age, but I kind of went to Derek and said, we need to do this together. Like you're going to want to be on the bench with Ryan in a couple of years. And I, I'd like to get back into it now. And he said, yeah, let's do so it. So it's your idea so, to, to reunite. Well, I don't know if it was my idea, but we we certainly talked about doing it together. And I knew at the time that he couldn't really be full-time junior A coach because he still had Ryan at midget. So for the first year or two there when Ryan was still midget, I kind of ran the practices, ran the show. And, you know, Derek was on the bench and um, the head guy in terms of that kind of stuff. But we did it together and we a pretty successful run there, obviously middle cups and, 2011, 2013, and I think uh, we are also in 2012 Minnow Cup and made another Ontario final in 14. And during that run, I think Derek was in Edmonton and wasn't quite happy with his offensive coordinator there and asked me to come over to Edmonton in 2014, and that's when I started there with them. So and yeah. we we're the rest is history. Pretty, the rest is yeah, we've been pretty successful. You know, like. You know, joke with uh, friends and family and that and saying like he couldn't have walked into a better situation right like going to Edmonton at the time where we just had Mark and Curtis and we were about to draft Ben and Robert and like yeah it works you know it makes you look pretty good pretty easy when you get that kind of talent to work with well I want to I want to ask you one thing here before I let Flats jump back in and it's the dynamic and you mentioned Jammer wanted to coach Ryan, and and listen, Ryan Ryan is a pretty low maintenance guy. Like I don't think you have to to coach up Ryan a whole lot because he's he's had it his whole life. But for you as the offensive coach, and and Ryan being a, a member of your offensive unit, but also being the son of the head coach, like 
is there ever a time where you kind of look and go, okay, I need to get into him a little bit now, but you, you look at Derek and go, well, I don't know if I want to get into the head coach's son, or are you guys just in a place where if it needs to be done, it, it needs to be done? Yeah, I don't think, you know what, that's really never, I've never felt that from Derek. Derek's always, you know, he'll, he'll you know, Derek's a player's coach, so he's, he's never like one to rip a guy in front of anybody. And, um, you know, I've really taken my cue from that with him and, we need to talk to guys we need to we'll talk to them but ryan's a very coachable kid but you know if we're going through video on that and we're showing something that you know as a group we could do better and it happens to be ryan we show it and there's lots of things ryan does really well that we show as well so i've never never ever felt that from derek that there was like a hesitation not to constructively you know coach or uh, Ryan in any sense of the matter, never from Ryan. Ryan's always been acceptable for with anything we've tried to give him. He's, you know, as you said, he's one of the more coachable kids we, we have, right? Like a coach's kid who, who understands it, who gets it, who, yeah. you know, you don't have to say to Ryan too much if he's done something wrong because he knows it before you do almost. You, you talk, the way you talk about Ryan, I think you can almost talk, uh, you know, about a lot of guys on the offense that way. And the word I hear often is unselfish when it comes to that offense, and which is pretty remarkable when you have the kind of players that you have and guys that you know could be excused maybe for being a little more selfish with the ball because of their raw talent. Um, I'm curious, when you have an offense full of unselfish players, could that? be an issue at times too like is there are there times when you want to see it maybe one guy take the ball by the horns a little bit more or just sort of like take over a game i only see mark do it occasionally but you have a handful of guys who can do it and we see other teams where you know one player will go off is there ever any time when you kind of wish that maybe some of the guys were a little more selfish Yeah, you know, maybe occasionally, but I'd much rather have the problem we have than having the other the other side of the problem, <laughs> yeah. where where we have a group that's very unselfish, where, you know, that loves to work together, um, is really team first, all of them, and you know, I think I would, seminal maybe for me is, and I think in our first championship year there when we were playing the Rock and it was tight near the end and um, sitting on the bench, you know, I think it was a tie game and. Somebody said, like, who's going to step up and lead us? One of the guys on the bench, and Matt, Mark Matthews says, I couldn't care if the popcorn guy scored the next goal as long as we get one. <laughs> that's awesome. That is right? Awesome. So, and that's, you know, our group kind of takes its cue from Mark. You know, Mark's one of the top, you know, debatable first, second, third best player in the world on offense right now. And he's completely unselfish and, you know, all he wants to do is win and whatever we ask him to do in that regards, if it's shoot it 15 times a game, he'll do that. If it's pass it 30 times a game, he'll do that. Like, and the rest of the group kind of takes its cue from there. And, you know, very fortunate to kind of have that kind of superstar on your team where it's always a team first. No doubt. He's number one in my books, Bubs. Um, hey, man, thanks for doing this. That was fantastic stuff. I hope uh, I hope we educated Rush Nation a little bit on what goes into to the offense of Jeff McComb and the Saskatchewan Rush. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk to you about Christmas. Did you have a good Christmas? What would you get under the tree? Well, you know, lacrosse stuff, right? Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> New whiteboard, no, maybe a whistle. Uh, yeah, new whiteboard, some markers, and, and ready to go. Perfect. So, yeah, no, it was a really good Christmas. Thanks for asking. And um, we're, you know, as a group, we're fired up for this year. And um, I think, you know, it's 
it's great to have a challenge. Uh, we've things have kind of run really, really smoothly here on offense for a number of years, and uh, right now we're kind of being challenged to come up with something different, which is great. It always in your professional life, whether it's lacrosse or whatever you do, when you're challenged, it's a great opportunity to see what the guys are made of here and see what we can come up with. And I think we're you're going to see uh, things move forward here on the offense and only get better as we go forward this year. Words to live by right there. No question about it. Uh, have yourself a happy new year. Best of luck down in San Diego. And we'll see you for Prairie Pride Night uh, on the 18th back in Saskatoon, man. Perfect. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to it as well. That was offensive thanks. coordinator Jeff McComb. Sorry, Ryan, I keep cutting. You want to say thanks to Bub? You can still do that. I think he's still there if you want. It's all good. Thanks a lot, Jeff. See you in a few thanks, weeks, guys. Thanks, all right. Guys. There you go, Jeff McComb. One final break here on the Rush Hour podcast. We'll come back. We'll tie up episode two and get you on your way into year number 2020. I can't believe it. Just one more sleep to go. Before the turn of the calendar, uh, let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll tie this thing up. This is the Rush Hour podcast presented by Merlin Ford Lincoln, your premier Ford Lincoln dealer in Saskatoon. Hey, this is Chris Corbiel, captain in Saskatchewan Rush. You're listening to Rush Hour. Back for one final segment here on the Rush Hour podcast. Thanks to uh, Ryan Dilks and Jeff McCone for spending a little time. Thanks to you, Ryan Flaherty, for, for co-hosting with me this week. I'm going to just get you to do this again. I had so much fun. Well, it is fun. I like to, and it's nice to, you know, really chop it up with these guys a little bit more. I mean, you know, I touched on earlier, getting, you know, I do get the privilege of interviewing, you know, the members of Rush Nation on a regular basis, but, you know, these those are pretty fast and furious. It's nice to get guys on and really dig into the meat and potatoes of, mm. of, of them. And, or and get to turkey, know them a bit turkey and mashed potatoes. Turkey and mashed potatoes, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. I didn't get any turkey. This oh, time, man. So I'm maybe going you know, don't I'll, have it on the brain as much as some other people. I'll, uh, I'll pull some out yeah, of the no, freezer and, and bring some to Saskatoon for you uh, next month. <laughs> How about that? A uh, couple of things I wanted to mention. One thing I didn't mention uh, in, in episode number one, a couple of new members to the Rush game day experience in Ricky Forbes and Amanda Ruler, who I had a chance to meet at the home opener and, and, uh, I knew Amanda a little bit from from her football time. Uh, I had a chance to call the Women's World Football Championships a, a couple of years ago, which Amanda was a part of Team Canada. But I'd never met Ricky before, and and I thought those two did a did a great job getting the crowd whipped up there at Sastel for the home opener. They did a fine job. The team didn't comply, uh, so they had their work cut out for them because it wasn't a great first half. No, uh, from the home for the. I'm not putting that on them. Though. I'm not putting that. Uh, no, no, that's why I said they had their work cut out for them because the team wasn't helping them out at all. Although they had a little assist with a, they were the hired gun in the stands too, who was whipping the crowd into a frenzy. But no, yeah. great job. Uh, yeah. He was uh, great. It's always a. It's, it's. I've been a game host. It is not an easy gig because people in the building are distracted by all kinds of different yeah. things and there's lots going on. It's a loud place and you, you know, you're on a microphone and you would think everyone's going to pay attention to you, but that isn't always the case. So you just kind of got to do your thing and hope people are watching and enjoying it. And I thought they did a good job. Absolutely. And, and all the uh, fifth year anniversary jerseys worn by the season ticket holders were really standing out there at Sastel. By the way, 
Uh, tickets, season ticket packages still available for the Saskatchewan Rush. Just one game off the home schedule docket here. So chance to, to still become a season ticket holder, prorated. And, of course, you get those fifth-year anniversary jerseys with each seat that you purchase. They got group benefits going on as well if you want to bring out a group to uh, the Rush game. Lots of fun things to do. Just check out saskrush.com for all your ticket info. Uh, or give me a call, and, I, and I'll help you out as well if you want to do that. Uh, get at me directly. A couple more things to kind of tidy up here before we give a little preview to uh, San Diego and Colorado. And and I think a lot of people, Ryan, are, are talking about the departure of Brett Midsky and what that means to the team. And and not an easy – you know, you, we trade away Nick Bielich, and, and that was to make room for, for guys like Justin Robinson and, and Holden Garland and, and Jeff Cornwall and Dilks who were coming back into the lineup. Um, so I think that one was pretty understandable, and, and Nick uh, going through some personal stuff uh, with his family need to be closer to home as well. So that all kind of worked out, and that kind of ties into to the Mitski free agent signing as well, an unrestricted free agent, and a guy that's played more games in a Rush uniform than anybody else, and, and a, a tough loss here for one of my favorite players to watch in, in Brett Mitski. But on the flip side of that, I, I look at this like it's a good thing here for, for both sides. And, and for Brad, who's got a brand-new family and a brand-new career and, and uh, resides in BC, I, it's a chance for him to, to play at home. And, and listen, this guy this guy spent the better part of a decade playing for the Rush and, and did some great things in a Rush uniform, including three championships. But – He's also 32. He's not going to play at all this year, which means he's going to be 33 going on 34 when he does return to the lineup. And I, and Brett Mitski's got some good years left in those legs, no question about it. But I think what the Rush are going to get back in compensatory picks and maybe avoid having what could potentially be an awkward conversation with an aging veteran in a couple of years from now this works out okay for Saskatchewan, and it works out okay for Brett Mitski as well. hundred uh, percent. I think, I mean, we, we knew, we kind of found out, uh, some people knew this maybe a little longer ago, but I mean, I think most people kind of learned as the season was starting that Brett wasn't going to be playing this year uh, with that year off, similar to what we had with Cornwall and Dilks last season. Um, the signing Vancouver was the, was the bigger surprise, but as you mentioned, I think it's a it's a good situation for him. Um, let's not forget that this is you touched on. He played more games uh, as a, a member of the Rush than anyone else. But let's not forget Derek Keenan traded multiple draft picks to get him back. Two first after, yeah, exactly for after the for expansion draft last year when Brett was uh, selected by Philadelphia. Uh, he or was it Philadelphia? Yeah, it was Philadelphia and San Diego, San Diego, San Diego, right? Because San Diego snapped up both rush players. That's yeah. right because they got Sorchetti as well. Thanks for that. Yeah. So Derek Keenan, this is an important player, and it was important for Derek Keenan to show loyalty as well to Brett Minsky. He had to leave him exposed. He only had so many guys he could protect in that expansion draft, but he quickly made the move to bring Brett Minsky back for last season, and and that was he had a solid year last year. But you're right. His he's the clock doesn't go in reverse. No. And Derek and and Derek Keenan acknowledged even going into this year that they are in a bit of a transitional period. Not that that means that they don't want to continue winning, 
but they, he recognizes that they can't just keep the same guys year in and year out no, and, and because, expect yeah, to, no. to maintain that. Absolutely. You have to make adjustments. And so this is a great opportunity. Brett gets to continue his career close to home, uh, avoid any of that uncertainty uh, going into next year or the year beyond. And uh, everyone kind of gets to keep on moving without missing a beat. Yeah, and you get new players into your lineup. And, and listen, Brett's also a guy that makes the max dollar value as well, which mm-hmm. needs to be taken into consideration. And you're right. Derek giving up two first-round picks for him was a lot. And Derek doesn't throw around first-round picks very easily. He likes to collect those, not give them up. But with that being said, and I know it's a bit of a math formula on how they determine what is going to be the compensation for Brett Mitski, but that will factor in to the equation what Derek Keenan had to give up to get Brett back. They'll take his career into consideration and the year when he returns, what his play is like for that. But for Rush Nation, I would expect at least a first-round pick coming back, at least yeah. a first-round pick, maybe two, probably not, but at least a first, and I would say probably a second to go along with it. So um, you can't have enough first-round draft picks in this league. You just can't do it because these are impact players that can step right into your lineup and play. So uh, it's sad to see Brett go, but also happy for Brett, and and I'm okay with, with what's going to happen here with Saskatchewan, giving a new opportunity for new guys. They're going to get some draft picks as well, and they're going to keep kind of slowly turning that back end of the roster over to improve. Uh, couple- and again, I would just tack on to that, and again, they knew they weren't going to have him this year anyway, yeah. so you're, a, you're ahead of the game. Exactly. You're ahead of the game. This is that- an unexpected. This is not a guy they had to start the year, and they lost. They were going to have them at all this year, and now they're going to get something back. So I think it all works out well. Bingo, bingo. A um, couple more minutes here. San Diego up next. Uh, Seals just coming off a much-needed victory for those San Diego Seals. An overtime victory over the Vancouver Warriors 11-10 just a night ago here at Flatson. Man, they did not want to start the season 0-3, and, and and they, they get a – a big goal from former Rush player Brody Merrill on a breakaway in overtime to win that game. They're going to go, the Rush are going to go down to SoCal here to take on the Seals. What kind of game are you expecting here against San Diego? No Austin Stotts, no Casey Jackson, still no Garrett Billings. We've seen Chiliano kind of be hot and cold here to start this year. What are you, what are you expecting down there in San Diego? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one because... You know, we saw San Diego come out of the gates last year as an expansion team and really surprise a lot of people, at least some people anyways. They put together a pretty strong roster, so I don't think they shocked folks. But the fact that they made the playoffs, I think, surprised pretty much everyone. Mm. And and yet, you t- you mentioned that there's some key pieces of their offense are, are sidelined. Dan Dawson is no longer there. He's in Toronto. So it's a much different looking off-forward group at the very least than the Rush saw last year. Um Connor Fields oh, is the man. guy they're going to have to be ready for have because four. I watched that game yesterday. He was an absolute weapon. He's starting to deliver on that hype that surrounded him when he came into the yeah. league last year. Now you don't didn't play much last year, making that transition, but boy oh boy, he can shoot the ball. And you gotta think with guys like Stocks and Billings not there, that's going to be the key for the rush defensively is is to take him out of the game. Last year, they were really successful playing teams that maybe only had one or two key offensive linchpins. I'm thinking of Colorado and the way they took Eli McLaughlin out in a couple of games last year mm-hmm. um, when they were kind of short some firepower. 
So their, their defensive scheme is going to have to revolve around uh, limiting Connor Fields. Um, and then offensively, I think they should have a – they're continuing to make those progress. I think we heard from Jeff McCollum. He, he, he thinks they're starting to make some headway. And uh, I think it's really good for the rush that San Diego got a win. Because you don't want to face a desperate team yeah. um, that has yet to win because they're very, very dangerous. Um, not to say they won't still be, but at least takes a little bit of the edge off um, for the Seals. Uh, so it should be a fun, a fun game to watch. I think the Rush, you know, if they can continue to get that offense clicking, and I don't see why they would take a step back. Um, you know, if they can put up 12 or 13, I, I think they should be able to win by, you know, three or four just because the Seals are just shorthanded right now. Yeah, I really think getting to Shiliano early in the game and get their confidence going and rattle his, if they can, is going to be a huge catalyst uh, against the Seals. And we've seen Frankie, when, when he's a little shaky, sometimes it'll go sideways on him, but if he starts to settle into a groove, he can be a very tough goaltender to beat uh, with lots of – Lots of past experience against him with his days with Calgary, of course, as well. Uh, which brings us to the 18th of January when they finally return home here, Flats. I, like I, I do not like going this long in between home games, especially when I'm not getting a chance to go on the road. Like It's way too long, but I think finally once we kind of get back into January, get games rolling again, the schedule will start to pick up and it'll become a little more flowing. But I'm looking forward to the 18th, not only because it's Colorado and they had that tight 9-8 game, of course the the playoff game, which didn't didn't go the way that everybody was hoping uh, last year. So a chance to get a little redemption on their home floor. But it's also Prairie Pride Night uh, and... The Rough Riders quarterback, Cody Fajardo, is going to be in the house as well. Yeah, Cody Fajardo will be bringing some, maybe a sprinkle of Jesus is just what the rush will need for their uh, for their home their home sauce. You know, just add a little bit in there from Cody Fajardo. It can't uh, hurt. Very, very bright, it nice. can't hurt. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It can't hurt. I don't know uh, yet all the uh, bells and whistles that the rush have planned for that game, but it should be a lot of fun. And, and yeah, a divisional game. And, these divisional games, I mean, this West division, mm. I mean, we're still only five weeks into the season, but every team has either one or two wins. Yeah. So this it's, this West division is going to be a slugfest all year long, and that game is going to be for the season series uh, for the Rush if they can win it. Absolutely. Uh, if they win it, they take the season series already this early in the year, and that could be key going down the line. Oh, we will just be. don't know how things are going to shake out, and home floor – could be absolutely is, is going to be absolutely huge when only the top two teams are guaranteed a spot in the playoffs. So yeah, that's a long ways ahead. But divisional games are so critical for that, and uh, the Rush have something to prove after a loss on home floor, which is not something that happens all that often. So uh, be very interesting, obviously, to see what happens in San Diego first. But regardless, uh, that's uh, that's going to be a big one. And back to back home games against Colorado too, because the Mammoth will be back in Saskatoon on February 8th as well. So uh, first right. of two in a row against the, the Tusked ones. Yeah, well, I mean, there you go. Like, And you look, and Saskatchewan gets that 9-8 victory over Colorado to start the year. But then the Mammoth, 8-7 in OT over Calgary. But then maybe the most surprising of all, that victory mm-hmm. over the Georgia Swarm. But I don't think anybody 
saw that yeah. coming in, and that just lets me know that Colorado is for real. If you're getting, if you're playing the rush to a one goal game, you're beating Calgary in overtime, and you're beating the Georgia Swarm, who were previously undefeated. You're a good lacrosse team, and and this is going to be a real tough task. So I think that San Diego game is ultraly important for the rush to get that under their belt so they're feeling good coming back home against Colorado. Uh, Ryan, I think we did it, man. I think – oh, by the way, Prairie Pride Night presented by Finning. So I'm, I'm really hoping uh, more tractor jerseys. Give me all the tractor, the tractor jerseys. Yeah, bring the tractors back. I love the tractor jerseys. Love them. And, I th- I mean, they sold, like, a, what what's what sells really well in Saskatoon, Ryan? You tell me. Uh, I don't want to say hot kicks. <laughs> like uh, rider gear? No, <laughs> I don't know if we want to say that either. But just uh, that that's a good segue. They sell like pierogies. They're there you go. like pierogies. Okay. Get yourself into the Rush team store, Ryan Flaherty. <laughs> uh, they got some tractor jerseys in there from last year's Prairie Nights, and uh, they got everything you could ever want as far as being a Rush fan. I spent hundreds of dollars in there for, for my Christmas shopping and had a good time doing it. Speaking of good times, I had a good time doing this with you, uh, Flats, and uh, hopefully we can do it again maybe next month, maybe February. We're going to crank these out once a month for you as we did last year. And uh, keep this thing going here on the Rush Hour Podcast. Sounds like fun, man. I had a good time. Had a good time as well. Hopefully you did listening to the podcast as well. A big thanks to our sponsor once again in Merlin Ford Lincoln, to Jeff McComb and Ryan Dilks for stopping by, and to you, the listener, for checking out Rush Hour Podcast, and to you, Ryan Flaherty, for co-hosting with me here on Season 2, Episode 2. But now we are going to get you on your way. Rusher in San Diego on the 12th, back home for Prairie Pride Night on the 18th. Can't wait to see you all in Saskatoon. For Ryan Flaherty, I've been Jake Kelly, and for the fastest game on two feet. And for the creator, Happy New Year, and enjoy the games, everybody.